Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on a Sunday in the News Bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, beginning in verse 24 to the end of verse 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to thee, Lord Christ. Well, friends, welcome back to Christ Church Oceanside as we continue our studies of the good way of Jesus. Now, we are reaching the end here of the Sermon on the Mount, and we are at the end of chapter 7, and we're going to unpack this final parable that Jesus gives to summarize his teaching and really give us a moment to kind of picture what this looks like when it all comes together. Now, this section of building your house on the rock, it's a vision for life in this world now. And that's a really important point because we know that Christ has come to save us from sin. We know that Christ has come to save us from this world in in the sense of its brokenness and darkness. And we know that Christ will one day remake it. And then we'll spend eternity with him in that remade garden of heaven on earth. But here, when we reach the end of Jesus' teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, even still, even though I've come to do all these things, he's invested in the present state of our life here on this earth. He is saying that our current life can and should be built upon him, and that he wants that for you and for me, and he's given himself for that purpose, that that's how God thinks about you and your life. So the vision here is all about building that life in the here and now upon him and in him, that he would be the source from which It all flows. Now, the other aspect I want to really kind of lean into in this series is I want to lay out and sow a vision for Christ's church over the next 10 years here, 
of the kind of community that we want to create that would pursue this vision that Jesus has kind of outlined here of life in him and a life built around it, that we can't just do that alone. We need a, co- a cohort, a community of people who are committing to work that out in this real life and to do that together. So I think it's for individuals, it's for singles, it's for married people, it's for families, it's for seniors, it's for those who are middle-aged, it's for all of us to go, what if we gave ourselves to this vision and how could we pursue it, cultivate it, and stir one another up towards more of this? So I guess it's kind of a, you know, it's a conversation to go, hey, can, can we dream a little bit together? And so I think that's the invitation here, both from Jesus, ultimately, but also for us as his church here on the island. So let's start to unpack this parable a little bit. It starts out by saying, everyone that hears these words of mine, this is the teaching we've just unpacked, and does them, actually does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And this is the image that Jesus starts to paint for us, of building a house on a rock as a sure foundation. And then what's being communicated in that is this idea of building a house somewhere with stability, and building a house on something that has strength and security. So here's this vision coming together of all the areas of your life that are like the fundamentals that you don't want to be shifting and changing with the seasons, the things that you need the ability to count on, because we need to be able to count on some things in this life, and to build them securely upon something that is immovable, this rock. And then in verse 25, what Jesus says is that the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, what I think we misunderstand a lot is this idea of having a home and a family and a life with stability and with strength and security that you can count on, sometimes I think it's been misframed as somehow that is a threat to creativity or freedom of expression or even the individual themselves. But the the need for stability and strength and security is actually meant to be the place on which creativity, self-expression, and the individual thrives upon, that they need that foundation. Otherwise, trying to get that foundation and trying to establish that stability and trying to maintain that security actually is what eats up the person. Because all that they are is spent then on that work. So what's on offer then from Jesus is him saying, I will be this source of strength of which all of these other fundamental elements of your life will find their strength. And what this will do is provide you with the stability to exist within a very chaotic world full of rain and floods 
and winds that will beat against your life and will work essentially to destabilize you. This is a very radical idea for Jesus to say, especially 2,000 years ago. Think about how much fluctuation takes place within the human life with seasons and wars and changing kingdoms and all of this stuff. I think we've enjoyed a great deal, especially here in Canada, of stability and consistency. But Jesus is saying to all of human history, you can find the stability and strength and security that you want and long for in me. And then you can build out some principles around this of which you can live. So I want to kind of unpack this blueprint a, a bit to summarize the Sermon on the Mount and look at all the different areas that Jesus says can be grounded or built upon him. Now, if you're listening to this on the podcast, which you are, because you're hearing me say that, um, I think I'm going to try and make a, an image available on our website in the sermon section under this sermon that you can look at that I'm going to be using in our Sunday service. But what this image is meant to capture is if you lay Christ, the cornerstone, at the center, then we're going to look at con- um, surrounding squares parts of your life that if they're built according to Jesus should lead to a strong foundation of which our lives could become. But it's all predicated on this idea that Jesus is that cornerstone. Jesus has to be that center. And the reason he is the center is because every area within the Sermon on the Mount that he teaches, none of them are possible without him being the one to accomplish them. That's why he begins his whole teaching by saying, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. So every part of this foundation, we're believing that Jesus will be the one to help us, lead us to build this part of our lives according to him, saved by him, redeemed by him, restored by him, in order to create a stability in one's life that can handle the hardships of this world without it falling in upon them. Now, the first area that we see in the Sermon on the Mount is that grows out from this is this idea of our spiritual life. That ultimately what Jesus points out is that the the ultimate meaning of your life is to know him. And that in knowing him, you have all things, even eternity itself. But as we look through the Sermon on the Mount, we see the Beatitudes enable us, allow us to be honest about our true state, being poor in spirit. But we also see that we're encouraged to ask for whatever we need from him. So that's our way of living, is that we're saying, I'm in a lowly state in need of God. God is saying, ask of me. And then we even have the pattern of the Lord's Prayer to guide us in what to pray for, what to ask for rightly. And then with principles like fasting mixed into it, it's all leading us towards this point that we're meant to spiritually Seek for all things to be found in him. He's the treasure 
of our life. And if we have him, then we have everything that we need. And so he's the treasure that we're pursuing. He's the purpose of everything that we exist for. And he's the source of our ultimate fulfillment. It makes sense then that what would flow out of this is our emotional and mental life. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how we shouldn't be living in anger, nor should we be living in anxiety. These are big issues for today. So the idea, the vision here that Jesus is providing us is that when we have a spiritual stability in him, when we find all that we have and need in him, and we can make our requests always known to him, this leads to and produces an emotional and mental stability. That we know that we have no need for worry because we have our source in him and we've made our needs known to him. We know that we have no need for anger towards other people because we have an other means of redemption in him. We have the acts of forgiveness and of mercy because we've received that same forgiveness and mercy for ourselves. What then flows out of that is a sexual life that has a strong ethic and purpose and reason behind it. That in Christ's vision, your sexuality is not then defined or driven by desire or for consuming like lust, but instead it's about love and service. So in this foundation, things like our sexuality makes more sense because they're not driven by desperate need, but instead by healthy and, and, and good desire to love and to serve and to enjoy. Next in that is Jesus's picture of marriage, that it would be one of covenant and not of divorce, but instead it would have a stability because in that place it's the opportunity from the love one has in God, in your spiritual life, which you're enjoying in your emotional and mental life, you're then expressing in love towards your spouse, to your partner. And then it's held together by God's action. That, and this is what Jesus teaches, is that what God has brought together, let no man separate. So here is this then the marriage union is finding its source in the cornerstone. Jesus is the one that has made it happen, and Jesus is the one that's going to continue to make it happen. Then from there, Jesus starts to teach about our financial life, that we would not be living according to selfishness or finding our treasure in finances, but instead we're living from a generous place where we give to the poor without reservation or hesitance. Instead, Jesus wants us to know all of our needs are fulfilled in him. Everything that we have has come from him. And so we're representing him in our finances towards others. And, and Jesus points out specifically the poor, that if anyone asks, our answer is yes. If anyone needs, our answer is, please let it be through me. And then how we show up in the world, the next phase is through a humble integrity, where Jesus talks about truthfulness and keeping our oaths and our yes be yes and our no be no. This is how we show up in the world, is that we show up on purpose, 
and we show up honestly and we show up with commitment to say, if this is what I'm committing to, I'm going to follow through because Jesus is going to provide what I need in order to do it. Now, it also gives us the strength to have the integrity to say no to things we should. Too often, we say yes to stuff that we really want to say no to. Being grounded in Jesus enables us to be more honest about what we actually want to do and what we don't want to do, what we should do, and what we don't want to participate in. From there then, we're showing up in the world in humble integrity. Now we are in a position to begin to cultivate real relationships. And so this is where Jesus is teaching of love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemies becomes key for us. This is our primary posture, where you could say our ideology and how we interact with the world. We have what we need in Christ, and so we're interacting with the world from Christ to love others according to the way Christ has loved us. So this, we're looking for opportunities for meaningful relationship. We're looking for opportunities to show love and generosity and mercy and forgiveness to those who don't like us. We're not picking and choosing who we like and who we don't. The next stage then has to do with conflict. And Jesus talks about this quite a bit in the Sermon on the Mount, that he's saying that when how we respond to the faults of others or how we respond to the threat of others, that he is asking us to respond to them in a place from non-retaliation and generous love towards those who would even seek to steal from us. So our posture towards the world is kind of like an open gate posture. We're saying we can handle conflict with you because we have our needs met. We can handle even you taking out a bad deal upon us because we have our needs met in Jesus. And then the way we relate to others is non-competitive. That people don't will, will eventually come to learn we're not a threat to them. And then this produces within us a sense of our citizenship, where we belong, that we're part of the kingdom, working as salt and light, meaning we're seeking to preserve the world around us. We're not attacking it. We're actually seeking to save it, save it from death and to illuminate the good news in a dark world. And so this really has a lot to do with how we would choose our occupations, doesn't it? Because our occupations aren't primarily about survival. Our occupations are primarily about benefiting the world around us. These are just kind of a summary of the topics that Jesus has covered in his teachings. He's saying this is the kind of stable life that you know who you are. You know where your needs are met. You know how to handle conflicts and hardships. You know how to be honest and truthfully yourself. You know how to build relationships. And you know who you are in this world. That's a stable life. And that building each one of these areas upon him generates a stability that can withstand storms, floods, winds, and calamity. And this provides you then a baseline for how to be fully the you that God has called you to be and is making you to be in Christ. 
Now, the alternative is this. Jesus says the other way of doing this is that everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. This is the alternative. So when you build your house on the sand, everything is moving. Everything is changing. There is no source of continuity. And so fulfillment, if you're looking for stability, will always evade your grasp. This leads to a erratic or inconsistent responses to life, to the shifts, chains, changes, and variables in a chaotic world. So if we were to take the same list that we looked at for a solid house and we're to look at it for a house upon the sand, it looks very different. For a spiritual life that either makes themselves, like what's really common in our day today is to say, I am my own God. I am my own way and truth in life. I'm the source that I draw from to achieve everything that I need. This is really common in Western culture especially. And so I'm going to focus on that today. The other options are kind of like a plurality of gods that you're looking to all of these different sources. Or that there's this like distant God who's out there, but he's unattainable. But let's focus today on this idea that we are our own gods. In this scenario, you're the one that has to accomplish everything. So if you're the source, then when we move on to emotional and mental life, what, how does that build off of that if you're the source? Well, this puts all the responsibility on you. So either you're happy by your own choices or by your own achievements. And that your mental thinking is entirely within your ability to change and shape it, etc. But here's the reality. When we're the source of our spiritual life, we come to the end of our abilities very quickly. And so what we start to do is look towards the world. So right away we go, if I'm the source to provide, then I have to attain something else in the creation. This sets us up for an emotional and mental state of unfulfillment. Because we always need something in order to be okay. And that puts us into a state of desperation, where we're disjointed, and maybe the disappointments and hardships of this life have even wounded and broken and inflamed our emotions and our mental state. This puts us into an internal crisis. So then when we move on to our sexual life from this place, this is going to start to put a ton of pressure on our sexuality. Because we're going to be saying, what's missing in my life, now I'm going to look to my sexual life to fulfill it. That's going to be the place I get affirmation. That's going to be the place I get comfort and intimacy and companionship and have fun. The problem with that is that it involves other people. So now we're looking at people to give us what we want there. And if we can't get it in people, then we'll get it in porn, or we'll get it in toys, or we'll get it in these other things. But we know no matter how much we get, this leads to massive unfulfillment. Now, when we then look at the marital relationship, again, we're compounding pressures. Because when there's no substantial strength deep inside then what we're looking to is outside to find it. So then we move that on to a marriage. 
which a marriage would then promise the sexual, emotional, mental, and spiritual savior that we're looking for. It's a recipe, though, for codependency and abuse and ultimately probably divorce. Because even a marriage isn't enough to provide everything that we are missing. And so what we can easily do is go, if I just had this one person and they're committed to me and they'll be everything, but that crushes the marriage. Now, I've added another ring to this compared to the solid one. And I want to talk a little bit about addictions for a second. By this point, if you're unable to find security and stability and fulfillment, then it's really natural to start to get a bit desperate and seek out medicines that will help the pain. Because a lack of stability actually feels like a whole lot of pain. Because you are open to the elements and the hardships of this life. And so whether what that ends up looking like is a a sort of desperate consumerism. And it's a consuming of things, of alcohol, of pornography, of drugs. Could be even fitness. Could be movies and TV or video games or food. But the idea is that I need to have this in order to act as a painkiller to all these other problems that are going on inside of me. This leads to our next layer, which is financial. You can see where an unfulfilled, unstable internal life is going to start to then show up in your financial life. Because you'll never feel like you have enough, so you're always actually buying. And eventually you run out of money, And that puts you into a state of not actually having enough to fix and fulfill your problems. And the reality is no matter how much money you have, it's not going to be able to hit those internal problems. Now, you might have stabilities, like say you have a house and you you have food and your basic needs are provided for, but money's not going to provide for relational problems. Money's not going to provide for all these other things. This leads to a state, instead of humble integrity, it's survivalism, where we can justify anything that keeps us and helps us get what we need. And it leads to a kind of disconnect from conscience because survival is the greatest good now. We're no longer living as a benefit to the world. Now, when we look at our relationships, this next level, The relational life that we have is the inner void is going to start to come out in our relationships through resentment, dissatisfaction, anger, impatience. We become more demanding and ultimately we're kind of what what we're dealing with is a disappointment because all of these people might have it better than we do. So we're mad about that. All of these people aren't fulfilling us the way we need to, so we're mad about that. All these people are competing for resources that we need, so we're, we're mad about that. There's a lot of variables to how it impacts our relationships. And if we're not willing to give an inch, so to speak, because we have got to take every inch we can get to survive, that's a recipe for difficult relationships. This then leads to a conflict issue, 
right? Because there's problems now relationally, and we've got no inner resources to draw from. So what's going to come out in our conflicts is going to be competitiveness, we'll end up hateful, unforgiving, judgmental. We'll have a strong sense of injustice that we're always getting the raw deal. And we're, we have a desperate self-preservation because we fear losing more. And so we're striving for more and we're deserving of more. This is a recipe for bad expressions of conflict that essentially break down into a kind of violence, maybe emotionally, verbally, physically, practically in your living situations. That's where violence comes from, is this bankruptcy of spirit brokenness of emotional mental life, unfulfillment, disappointment, and on and on and on and on. This leads to a way of, of relating to the world in terms of citizenship. It's a lifestyle that you live as a country of one in a war against the world, or you end up trying to join another faction that promises you fulfillment for all the other areas that you're missing. Jesus says where this results in is this. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. As time goes on, a life that's built like this tilts. It's subject to imbalance, unhealthy patterns of coping and handling conflict and relations to others. And so when serious storms come, or suffering, or calamities in this life, the home and the family is in danger of the actual structure falling in on them and crushing the inhabitants. That's a serious and significant impact, that a fallen house would break the people that are in it instead of protect them from the calamity outside. Now, there's one more house I want to make mention of. And it's this. It's the house with no cornerstone. So there's the house that is solid and built on the rock. And then there's the house that's built on the sand. But then there's a house that's seeking to be built on the rock but has no cornerstone. The blueprint of this foundation is only solid if each of these points finds its source and its salvation in the person and work of Jesus. This is a common thing I find hearing in the grief of Christians whose homes have fallen in on them or around them, is they describe that they ascribe to Jesus as the way, but without a theological grounding. So they don't have accuracy about who Jesus is or what Jesus has accomplished. And they don't have a functional understanding of how his way works. And they have a limited personal experience of him. And so that's a tough combination of things to go, I ascribe to, say, the Sermon on the Mount, but I don't have Jesus really. And there's an expectation as though somehow all one has to do is agree with Jesus's teachings, and Jesus will miraculously make them so with any involvement on our part. This is why he says, you hear the words of mine and do them, and the way we do them is with and in Jesus. In reality, this kind of house embraces the shifting sands and becomes susceptible to every wind and wave and have less and less to count on. 
This is what Psalm 127 speaks of when it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And this leads to so much confusion and disillusionment of Christians who agreed to build their house on the rock and set out to do it in their own efforts and goodness. With no cornerstone in place, no functional knowledge of how Jesus works or their deepest needs, and so they end up in a desperate search for something else to take the place of what was meant to be Jesus. This is why so-called Christians drift into love of money, idolatrous sexuality, and political definitions of security, because they didn't have Jesus the cornerstone, functionally. Where this leads us to is that we want to be a church that not only builds the church, but builds people, builds families, builds homes, builds lives— on the cornerstone of Jesus. That we would be a people who work this right out. That we want to know how Jesus is the cornerstone. We want to cultivate emotional and mental well-being that is centered on Him. We want to experience healing and restoration to our, to our sexual lives, to our marriages, to our parenting, all of it. We want it to be built upon, built by, defined by, and made possible by Jesus. Think of that for a minute. To craft marriages where each individual is dependent on Christ, growing in Christ, cleaving to Christ, and learning to to love the other with his love. From there, we want to raise children to know this love. We want to raise children who understand who Jesus is and the power of his work and know how to receive and apply that themselves. That we would train our kids to inherit this foundation if they so choose and so believe, that they might build further than we built. But to do this, we need a community of Mothers and fathers and friends and grandparents and and youth and young adults and singles. And we need all of us to be working together towards building this life. And it's not just for the quote-unquote American nuclear family. The way of Jesus is a way of thriving in singlehood. That the, the church has actually exalted, lifted up, and prioritized a single life that's living with Jesus for the sake of building the church in meaningful, deep community. This is not just for married folk. This is a uh, a vision for a foundation that we all live in together, that we all are cultivating and building. And I think that's important because for many single people, they feel as though they have to wait till they're married to begin building anything of meaning. And that is fundamentally a lie against the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is about building that life of which you could then have someone live with you, whether that is a spouse or whether that's friends or in shared community or or whatever, with families, with married friends. This is the type of vision that we want to create and, and go after. Sorry, Jesus is creating it. We want to grow deeply into meaningful relationships. 
We want to thrive knowing how to do healthy conflict. We want to make peace with our neighbors when the world's fallen apart and polarized. And we want to passionately love our, our enemies, living as ambassadors for his kingdom and working for the preservation of the island and the illumination of Jesus' hope for his new creation here. This is the type of work that we want to be about. We want a life of stability in Jesus, not the American or Western definition of that. We want stability in Jesus that we can love from. And Jesus is saying that's possible in this life now through knowing him, treasuring him, growing in him, and building with him. That's according to these scriptures. That this is possible now in this life while we wait for the life to come. I don't have time to talk about how that, these things actually aren't eternal. Only he is. But the point that he's making here is that this is possible now. Now next week we'll talk about storms and floods and winds and rains and all that stuff. And how we prepare, we repair our houses when they're hit by that. But today I think the big picture vision we need to see here is that Jesus is saying to make him the cornerstone means that establishing a life that's solid and stable and good in him, regardless of what's going on in the world, is possible here and now. What should this do in us? It should make us more passionately pursue Jesus. Not go on and try and build families without him in our own efforts, but be with him more, love him more, enjoy him more, receive him more, believe in him more. This vision brings us full circle back to Jesus as the cornerstone. Jesus is everything. And my prayer would be that you would join us and cultivating a community of Christ Church that does this very thing. Amen.